Chapter 15 of All the Brothers Were Valiant. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Roger Moline. All the Brothers Were Valiant by Ben Ames Williams. Chapter 15. The discovery of Aaron's loyalty had been immensely heartening to Joel. If Aaron were loyal, there might be others. Must be. Not all men are false. He wondered who they would be. He went over the men, one by one, from mate to humblest foremast hand. Finch and Vard were surely against him. Old Hooper, he and Aaron were cronies, and the other mates had left Hooper somewhat out of their movements thus far. Old Hooper might be, give him his chance, on Joel's side. Old Hooper and Aaron. Two. Dick Morrell? A boy, hot with the wonder and glamour of Mark's tale, easily swung to either side. Joel thought he would not swing too desperately to the lawless side. But he could not be counted on. What others were there? Joel had brought his own harpooner from the Martin Wilkes a big island black, a decent man, a chance. Besides him, there were three men who had served Asa Worthen long among the foremast hands. Uncertain quantities, chances everywhere. But he must strike quickly. There was no time to sound them out. When his dinner was brought at noon, his broken bonds would be discovered. They would be more careful thereafter. Three hours lay before him. He set himself to listen with all his ears, to guess at what was going on above decks, and so choose his moment. He must wait as long as it was safe to wait. He must wait till men's bloods ran less hot after the crisis of the morning. He must wait till sober second thought was upon them but there was always the chance to fear that Mark might come down. He would not wait too long. He could hear feet moving on the deck above his head. The Nathan Ross had run into rougher weather with her change of course. The wind was stiffening, and now and then a whisk of spray came aboard. He heard Jim Finch's bellowing commands, heard Mark's laughter, Mark and Jim were astern, fairly over his head. There were men in the main cabin. The scrape of their feet, the murmur of their voices came to him. Dick Morrell and Old Hooper, perhaps. It was through these men that Joel's moment came. Finch, on deck, shouted down to them. Mark had decided to shorten sail, ease the strain on the old masts. Joel heard Morell and Hooper go up to the deck. That would mean most of the men aloft. The decks would be fairly clear. His chance. He wished he could know where Vard sat, but he could not be sure of that, and he could not wait to guess by listening. He caught up a blanket from his bunk, held it open in his hands, drew back, and threw himself against the cabin door. 
It opened so easily that he overbalanced, all but fell. The screws had been set in punch holes so large that the thread scarce took hold at all. Joel stumbled out, saw Vard on the cushioned bench which ran across the stern. The mate was reading, a book from Joel's narrow shelf. At sight of Joel, he was for an instant paralyzed with surprise. That instant was long enough for Joel. He swept the blanket down upon the man, smothering his cries with fold on fold. And he grappled Vard and crushed him, and beated his head with his fists until the mate's spasmodic struggles slackened. Priss had heard the sounds of combat, swept out of her cabin, bent above them. He looked up and saw her, and he said quietly, "'Get back into your place.' She cried pitifully, "'I want to help, please.' He shook his head. "'This is my task. Quick!' She fled. He lifted Vard and carried him back to the cabin where he himself had been captive. And there, with the cords that had bound his own arms, he bound Vard, wrist and ankle, and he stripped away the blanket and stuffed into Vard's mouth a heavy woolen sock and tied it there with a handkerchief. Vard's eyes flickered open at the last, and Joel said to him, "'I must leave you here for the present. You will do well to lie quietly.' He left the man lying on the floor and went out into the after-cabin, and salvaged the bolt and screws that had been sent flying by his thrust. He put the bolt back in place, pushed the screws into the holes, bolted the door. No trace remained of his escape. Priss stood in her own door. Without looking at her, he opened the door into the main cabin. That apartment was empty, as he had expected. The companion stair led to the deck. But he could not go up that way. Mark and Jim Finch were within reach of the top of the stair. He would be at a disadvantage, coming up to them from below. He must reach the deck before they saw him. He crossed the cabin to a lock fast and opened it, and took out the two pairs of heavy ship's irons that lay there. Spring handcuffs that locked without a key. He put one pair in each pocket of his coat. There was a seldom-used door that opened from the main cabin into a passage which led, in turn, to the steerage where the harpooners slept. Joel stepped to this door, slipped the bolt, entered the passage, and closed the door behind him. It was black dark where he stood. The passage was unlighted and the swinging lamp in the steerage did not send its rays this far. The Nathan Ross was heeling and bucking heavily in the cross seas, and Joel chose his footing carefully and moved forward along the passage, his hands braced against the wall on either side. The way was short, scarce half a dozen feet, but he was long in covering the distance, and he paused frequently to listen. He had no wish to encounter the harpooners in their narrow quarters. He heard, at last, the muffled sound of a snore. 
and so covered the last inches of his way more quickly. When he was able to look into the place, he saw that two of the men were in their bunks, apparently asleep. The black whom he had brought from the Nathan Ross was not there. Joel was glad to think he was on deck, glad to hope for the chance of his help. With steps so slow he seemed like a shadow in the semi-darkness, he crossed to the foot of the ladder that led to the deck. The men in their bunks still slept. He began to climb. The ship was rolling heavily, so that he was forced to grip the ladder tightly. One of the sleepers stirred, and Joel froze where he stood and watched, and waited for endless seconds till the man became quiet once more. He climbed till his head was on a level with the deck still hidden by the sides of the scuttle at the top of the ladder. And there he poised himself. For the last steps to the deck must be made in a single rush, so quickly that interference would be impossible. He made them. One, three. He stood upon the deck, looked aft. Mark and Jim Finch stood there, not ten feet away from him. Finch's back was turned, but Mark saw Joel instantly, and Joel, watching, saw Mark's mouth widen in a broad and mischievously delighted smile. End of chapter 15 Recording by Roger Moline